Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The FT. Welcome back to Banking Weekly with me, Megan Murphy. This week, we have a special edition focusing on the long-awaited interim report by the Independent Commission on Banking, which was released this morning to much excitement in this sector. We'll be asking whether Sir John Vickers, the chairman of the commission, has actually delivered the profound shakeup of the industry that he promised and that will prevent another financial crisis from hitting UK taxpayers. We're going to look at several aspects of this report, how it could affect Lloyd's Banking Group and its competitive position in the UK retail market. The commission has said very clearly in the report that it wants to substantially enhance the divestment Lloyd's has to make. The bank seems to have been caught somewhat off guard this morning. It really wasn't expecting this kind of prescriptive measure. We're also going to look at some of the things he said about capital levels and whether 10% core tier one is the new number that systemically important financial institutions are going to be looking at. And also some interesting comments around Cocos and bail-in. It is tough in some points. It talks about maybe having a minimum amount of bail-inable debt. It floats to this idea that debt has got enough loss absorbency to soak up all the losses. Now, if you think about how much debt you'd need and how you put all the losses in there, that's actually quite a tough line to take. And we're going to end the show with just looking a little bit at the politics of this and whether it's gone far enough and how it's likely to be received by the consumer. I think the interesting point here is that if the banks had been presented with this report a year ago, it would have been a lot more shocking than it is today. But because we've had so much fear in the market that they could go down this much more radical approach, actually, you know, this is something of a relief. Joining me in the studio today are Charlene Goff, the retail banking correspondent, and the excellent Jennifer Hughes, who covers capital markets for us. But before we go to the ICB report, let's start the show with Stateside. This week, the U.S. banking report comes from Francesco Guerrera, the FT's global finance editor. Over to you, Francesco. Thanks, Megan. This week, we look forward to the week ahead rather than backward when it comes to the United States, and we'll focus on two main stories. One is the U.S. bank's reaction to the banking commission in the U.K., and secondly, the first quarter results season, which kicks off this week with results from two huge banks, J.P. Morgan Chase and Banker of America. On the first topic, the mood on Wall Street when they heard the results of the UK Banking Commission was a mood of unmitigated relief. The idea that a draconian division between investment banking and retail and commercial banking could have been proposed by the Commission was something that was anathema to the Wall Street Bank. So the fact that the Commission is not recommending such a radical measure was greeted with welcome side of relief by the US banks. Now, on to the first quarter result season, one of the most interesting result seasons in recent memory because banks uh, will come to it in uh, different shapes and with different uh, type of uh, trading conditions. First, on uh, the uh, commercial and retail banks, uh, JP Morgan Chase, Bank of America, Citigroup, the pillars of the U.S. banking system, we are expecting uh, a, a good set of results, uh, partly because the U.S. consumer and the U.S. economy are continuing to heal, meaning that the banks can uh, reduce the reserves they set aside for bad loans, and that's going to translate in, in higher profits. 
on the trading side, and this is going to affect the banks with large investment banks and certainly uh, banks like uh, Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs, we are uh, having a tale of two halves, if you like. Trading is supposed, supposed to have rebounded very sharply from the very, very subdued condition we saw in the fourth quarter of 2010. And so we should see a good uh, sequential quarter-on-quarter result for trading. The uh, main problem for those banks will be that the uh, trading will be much lower than the fantastic first quarter of 2010 when the pent-up demand from the crisis uh, led to uh, booming uh, profits and record profits for the trading uh, conditions. So the year-on-year results will not look as good, but you will see that trading has rebounded. And the big question that everybody's going to be asking the executives will be, what is the new normal for trading? Will we see a continuation of the boom or will we see a return to more subdued conditions? Back to you, Megan. Thanks, Francesco. So the report is finally out. All the waiting is over. We've had endless stream of reporting on this. But Charlene, the big headline this morning that's the most, let's say, unexpected, for lack of a better word, is this potential threat to Lloyd's to further divest more than the 600 branches it's already being required to sell off. Where are we at with this? What's going on? And is this going to happen? This has always been an option that's been on the table. Ever since the commission was launched, we thought one of the most extreme things it could do was make Lloyd's sell a bigger share of current accounts and more branches. Saying that, the bank seems to have been caught somewhat off guard this morning because as far as it was concerned, its discussions with the commission has focused more on subsidiarization and stability and it really wasn't expecting this kind of prescriptive measure. Basically, the commission has said very clearly in the report that it wants to substantially enhance the divestment Lloyds has to make, which was a condition of the state aid it received from the EU. It hasn't detailed what that means, so we're none the wiser as to how many branches that might mean on top of the 600 it's already disposing, how much bigger a share of current accounts. So that's going to be worked out over the next few months. What's interesting is that it seems that the evidence that it's based this on is somewhat flimsy. Like there doesn't seem to be a clear case presented in the Commission's report or definitely hasn't been presented to Lloyd's showing that, you know, an extra sort of 100 branches or a couple of percentage points of current accounts would really make a difference. Talked about this before, about the creation of this big fifth player in the UK banking market. And banks consistently say it would take a lot more than just selling off another 100 branches to create this player. I mean, is Lloyd's going to fight this tooth and nail, do you think? I think Lloyd's is going to fight this hard. There was some talk previously that it could strike an agreement maybe with the government to increase the branch sale. That seems to be off the table and the bank, as far as it's concerned, says it's signalled that there is no logic to this move. It has a duty to protect its shareholders. It does not think hiving off more of its business would be in the interest of shareholders. It seems to me that Lloyd's has been a bit of an easy target for the commission. Like it says very clearly in the report that it's also concerned about RBS's share of small business lending. But basically, RBS has already sold the business that it had to move very fast on that selling the branches to Santander. So that would be too difficult a deal to enhance at this stage. So it's gone back to Lloyd's. Now, when you look at the figures, Lloyd's share of current accounts isn't that much higher than RBS's share of small business lending. Now, there are a number of reasons why it's more concerned about about Lloyd's and current accounts, but it'll just be interesting to see how this plays out over the next few months and whether the commission really has the power to push this through in the face of what looks like it could be quite firm resistance from the bank. That's going to be one that we really are going to be watching is to see how that plays out. But what's actually boosting bank shares this morning is much greater clarity on capital and what levels of capital banks are going to be required to hold. 
The commission sets for 10% core T1 across UK retail operations as what they think is the appropriate number. Now, that's three percentage points higher than had been set forward by the new Basel III framework. This is what's going to be called the UK finish to Basel III. And actually, it's a number that's lower than had been expected by some analysts. There had been a number floated around by some senior Bank of England people of 15%, even as high as 20%. And most analysts are saying that's why we're seeing shares at Barclays and RBS up 4%, HSBC as well up. I've got Jen Hughes in here, and she's the real expert on another key facet of the report, which is what they say around the much-beloved contingent capital and bail-inable debt and sort of where they see that fitting in, enhancing the safety and the stability of the financial framework. Well, we love anything we can give a nickname to, so that's why we like Cocos quite so much. Look, the report seems to be open to both Balian and Cocos. It's not overwhelmingly in favour, necessarily, of Cocos, but it does say that contingent capital, this is debt that can switch to equity if certain sort of stress ratios are breached, it does say it's got its merits and it thinks it's worth looking into. Now, this is a very new market, and this report really goes over the points that anyone who's following this debate knows already. And there's a lot of discussion on both sides of the pond on how we can make this work and where it goes next. We know banks like Barclays would like to do this kind of thing if they can get regulatory approval. But it is tough in some points. Now, it talks about maybe having a minimum amount of bail-inable debt. This is debt that gets written down at the point of non-viability or converted to equity, which is one of the interesting ideas they raise. But it's quite tough. It has this idea... At one point, it floats this idea that debt has got enough loss absorbency to soak up all the losses. Now, if you think about how much debt you'd need and how you put all the losses in there, that's actually quite a tough line to take. Yeah, no, it's very interesting. Is your read on it that they're being just quite cautious about putting their stall behind, say, Cocos, when the appetite for those type of instruments is unknown in terms of, you know, also in terms of pricing, in terms of how they're structured is. I mean, regulators have actually been quite slower than expected in some respects on approving a framework for COCOS, particularly, it should be said, the FSA. Do you think they're just being cautious and sort of floating out without backing a particular framework uh, because they they realize that there still is a lot of uncertainty about, about it? I think that's a pretty good way of putting it. In Europe, we've still got CRD4, Capital Requirements Directive 4, coming out. We've got something from Basel coming later this summer, I think it is, on you know, where contingent capital might fit in the buffer. So these are the sort of issues over the six months before we get to the final report, we could see a lot of resolution or a little bit more firming up. You should say that the Bank of England's been fairly pro-Cocos. There was a speech last week from Andy Haldane. It put forward this revolutionary idea they should be based on market ratios like book value and things like that, book value to equity, and that sort of ratio rather than the capital one because capital ratios are backward-looking, market triggers are forward-looking. But almost nobody I've spoken to in the market thinks this is actually a viable option. So there's so many unknowns in this market. This report is really just reflecting those unknowns rather than coming out with a firm conclusion. What are people saying to you, Charlene, today about the 10% number that came out and what was the response in the presser to that? Well, I think the feeling was definitely the message from the commission they wanted to get across very clearly was, well, this might not be as high as people had suggested. As you were saying earlier, there had been some expectation they could go a lot further than this. They said they had a number of options. They could either go for very high capital ratios or they could go for a very tough approach to subsidiarisation and make banks like Barclays capitalise parts of the business very independently. So Barclays Capital, for instance, in the, in the case of Barclays, and their retail banks. So rather than do either of those very 
draconian things, they tried to get a more moderate combination of those two. So slightly lower capital ratios together with this ring fencing of the retail business. That's what they think is the kind of way to go forward. Now, the 10% is interesting. And when you look at the actual detail that's in the report, this only applies to their UK retail banking operations. This isn't necessarily where they think the whole bank should go. I mean, they've said if it's systemically important financial institution, they would like to see those kinds of banks holding the 10% across. But they think that the UK shouldn't do that alone, that that's something that should require international agreement. They're very keen to push this idea that the retail banking operations independently hold 10% and they think that that's something the UK should do alone. One banker said to me this morning, um, very few banks have died due to a lack of capital. Most fail due to a lack of liquidity. So um, it is interesting. But let's move on exactly to this final point. And now we've had an array of options set out before us. I mean, I can read off comments that I've gotten this morning from Damp Squid to banks have dodged a bullet to they're sort of crowing about this. I mean, what what do we think is the political reaction to this? There have been a lot of people who wanted a far more radical structural reform from a wholesale breakup to, as you mentioned, a enforced split, separate subsidiarization and capitalization of, you know, Barclays sprawling investment banking arm, RBS's global banking and markets division. Um, And this isn't that for sure. So where do we think who gets the next move in this? And and what is George Osborne going to do? I think the interesting point here is that if the banks had been presented with this report kind of a year ago, it would have been a lot more shocking than it is today. But because we've had so much fear in the market that they could go down this much more radical approach, actually, you know, this is something of a relief to the bank. You mentioned earlier their shares are up quite strongly this morning. Even Lloyd's shares are up a little bit. So it gives you some sense of the potential damage the banks see coming. George Osborne has been talking a lot over the, over the weekend and in recent days saying that they are going to make sure that you know stringent proposals are pushed through. It seems to us that this will not go far enough for the Liberal Democrats, that we could have some resistance from them. It doesn't, to me, look like this is going to satisfy their kind of appetite to really see the banks hit. So we could have a bit of a rift forming there, I would imagine. Well, thanks for everyone for listening today. Thank you so much to Charlene and Jen in the studio and to Francesco in New York. Banking Week is produced by LJ Filatrani. And until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.